Welcome to the Old School Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. We will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Uh, my name is Frank. I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, what I'm supposed to do is tell you what I was like, uh, what happened, what I'm like now, including how and why I stay abstinent today. So um, in order to tell you, so as some of you know, um, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I've been in program since 1983. I came in in L.A., uh, July 3rd, 1983, the maintainers meeting on Ohio Street. Uh, I was in program for about 10 years in L.A., uh, in the 90s, I moved to Washington, D.C., and uh, I'll, I'll pick the story up in a minute. I'm supposed to tell you uh, what I was like. In order to do that, I'm going to read a poem. I, I, one of my vocations is as a poet. So this is my poem about what it's like and what it's like now. And if I want to know if I'm eating compulsively, I simply have to pay attention to my feet. The name of this poem is Wolf Down My Food. Feet drawn back under my chair, curled into springs, ready to leap, head bent, shoulder blades pinched, eyes darting side to side, guarding against thieves, I wolf down my food. No one is circling the carcass. But my vague, ancient fear forces my fork, food to mouth, as fast as I can swallow. Truth be told, I'd rather eat with my hands. My grace before meals is, save me from savage eating. Let me eat in peace. Spine straight, shoulders back, feet rooted to the earth, relaxed. Regarding my food as a connoisseur, not a carnivore. Let me eat not like a caveman, but like a gentleman. So what it was like was I ate like an animal. I ate wolfing down my food, as I described. My goal these days is to eat like a gentleman. Certain foods I have determined I cannot eat like a gentleman. I can't eat popcorn like a gentleman. Uh, here's my definition of eating like a gentleman. At the end of the meal, there's no food stains on my clothes. And there's not a lot of food on the floor around my seat. If I try and eat popcorn, I always, I just can't control the compulsion. It just, keeps going faster and faster, and I wind up with grease on my shirt. So um, I don't eat popcorn because I can't eat it like a gentleman. Uh, and that's my goal these days. Uh, what it was like was I grew up ashamed of myself. I grew up a fat kid. I didn't come from huge numbers, but they were big enough where I was always the fattest kid in my class. Grew up with a lot of shame, you know, and and – uh, did not did not want to engage. I mean, being a teenager is awkward enough. 
negotiating, you know, the, the, the sexual awakening of puberty is awkward enough. Doing it as a fat kid just doubles down on awkwardness. So I grew up ashamed. And so uh, what it was like is I was ashamed of myself. What it's like now is I have a sense of self-worth, self-esteem. So the, the growth has been going from shame to a, a strong sense of self-worth and self-esteem. So um, I want to tell you about, so what else am I supposed to tell you about? That's what it was like. That's what it's like now. What happened? 1983, some of you know I'm a, I'm a Catholic priest and I was on duty uh, at the church my first year of priesthood. The guy rang the doorbell and said, I want to make amends to the Catholic Church for blaming it for all of my problems. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I sat back and I listened. I used to weigh 400 pounds, the guy tells me. He says, uh, but I lost all this weight and uh, I'm, in a, I'm in his program called Overeaters Anonymous. And so he proceeds to tell me about it and I tell him that I'm worried about my weight. It just keeps going up. I used to be able to, like, bring it down with diet and exercise. Now it's just going up and up. First year priest had a lot of stress. So um, there's a lot of stories there I won't go into. So he says, there's a great meeting right down the street, Ohio Street, 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. So I showed up July 3rd, 1983. I think I've been going to a Saturday morning meeting ever since then. Um, so... Uh, I, I I think for the first two years, I was just kind of uh, observing. And, uh, you know, I finally worked the steps. But a real breakthrough came. I was sitting in the back of that Ohio Street clubhouse, and uh, somebody was at the podium. I don't know who. Was a, a young woman, and she was sharing, and I felt something. And I realized what I felt was something that was like feeling sorry for her, sympathy, pity, compassion, empathy. I had this breakthrough where I felt empathy for another human being. And I realized I'm now part of the program. And I think that's what the program has given me, is a rich emotional vocabulary. I used to just have, like, numb you know, I would numb all my feelings by eating, go through the day, collect all these feelings and suppress them at the end of the night with lots of food from the television set. One of my bottom line rules of abstinence is I don't eat after dinner. Um, so, uh, so I worked the steps. I uh, worked the steps in L.A. I had a couple of sponsors. Uh, I got... I started going to the men's meeting right away. I've always had a men's meeting as a home group in L.A., Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Boston, it was harder to find. And now in New York. Um, so let me just tell you this story. I think it encapsulates a lot. When I was moving from D.C. in 1999 back to L.A., I had a very good sponsor. His name was Phil. He said, you know, Frank, to kind of wrap up your time here in D.C., program was very good in D.C., by the way. 
wrap up your time in D.C., why don't you, uh, why don't we go through the 12 steps again before you move? I said, okay. So we're going through the 12 steps. We get to my, uh, we get to six and seven. This is, we're in the month of June. There's a lot of talk about step six. Here's my step six story. So I identify all my character defects. He says, Frank, I want you to write them in a list. It's okay. I write all my character defects in a list. He says, now write the opposite of those, the other side of it. And okay, I write them down. He said, okay, now I want you to write a narrative, a vision statement of who you will be when all of these character defects become their opposites. So here's an example. Frank is too serious, my character defect. Opposite. Frank has a good sense of humor. Frank tells the truth. Frank's somebody who tells the truth and has a good sense of humor. I write out this vision statement and with these kinds of statements. Fills a three-by-five card. I carry that three-by-five card with me for months until I lost it. But, you know, every once in a while I'd look at it and I'd say, okay, this is who I'm becoming. This is 1999. Last week. The process continues. So I'm a poet and, and uh, my vocation within my vocation. So I enter a poetry contest and the, the contest sends me 10 pictures and I'm supposed to write a poem in response to some of these pictures. For those of you who are in the technical side of it, it's called a frastic poetry, writing poetry about art. So I write three poems. I send them into the contest. I get the word back. I don't win first, second, third. I don't even get honorable mention. So, but they invite me to the reading where I get to hear the winners. So I go to the reading. And I discover I have the character defect of envy. I cannot listen to any of the other poets. I can't hear their poems. They may be beautiful poems. The whole time I'm thinking, how come I didn't win? I'm better than, my poem is better than that. Who does she think she is? Who's the judge of this thing? Anyway, fortunately, nobody can hear me, you know, because I'm not, I'm on mute. <laughs> but I realized at the end, I'm a sore loser. And I had the character defect of envy. Because these people won and I didn't, and I wanted to win. And I deprived myself of the delight of listening to good poetry. I deprived myself of entering into that community of poets where I might have been welcomed. But, I, I, you know, I was holding myself aloof because I'm judging them rather than listening to the poems. So I called my sponsor a couple of days later and I said, you know, if you're looking at the seven deadly sins, pride. I've had that. I've known that from the beginning. I was an arrogant SOB. Lust every day. Gluttony. You know, that's why I'm here. I know those character defects well. I never really thought of myself as an envious person. Here I've been in program 38 years, and I discover I really do have this character defect. So now, I'm look, what's the opposite of that? How about taking delight in the other people's work. How about celebrating their success? 
Those would be nice. How about being grateful to my higher power for revealing that I've got this character defect so I can move on from it? So now I'm working step six and seven. So I talk to my sponsor about it, reveal it to another person, and I say the seven-step prayer. You know, I ask God to remove this defect of character. And because Phil was my sponsor, I asked God to replace that defect of character with something else, like taking delight in other people's success. So maybe, you know, this is my way of moving towards that ongoing conversion of becoming a, a better human being, you know, practicing these principles in all our affairs. Not just not being a glutton anymore, you know. That's like the, that's like just the start. Then the rest of it is about going through this character transformation, you know. And so how do I do that? Well, what we have, the, the, the literature says we have a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual condition. So what I do on a daily basis to maintain my spiritual condition is I say the third step prayer before I even get out of bed. Um, my current sponsee call list is uh, 7.15. I get a call from a guy and we read the reading from Voices of Recovery. And we talk, you know. And then, you know, and then I do my prayer and meditation. And then a guy, another guy calls me at eight. And we're currently, we're going through the 12 steps. So we're reading, he's already up to step 12. We're reading the step 12 and the 12 and 12. And we talk 15 minutes. And then I like take my shower and eat my breakfast. And then at nine o'clock, I get another call. And he tells me what's going on, and we read the voices of recovery together. I tell him what I get out of it. He tells me what he gets out of it. And and so then I start work. I go through the day. I try and I pray and ask God for direction whenever I have a decision in front of me. When I'm in the flow, my day goes a lot smoother. And it all starts because I've done some prayer and meditation at the beginning of the day. So then, you know, I eat my three meals. And I record my food, and I email that to my sponsor at night. And so he knows, you know, I, there's a system of accountability. Because on my own, I'm a, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sneak up. I relapsed. I had 21 years of very good abstinence. I looked good. Life was going well. Hit a midlife crisis. Bounced up and down. And anyway, long story short, four years ago, I got... Uh, you know what did it? It was this, it was this uh, uh, definition of abstinence, refraining from, uh, you know, food, food, compulsive food behaviors and uh, um, moving towards or a healthy body weight or maintaining a healthy body weight. When, the, when OA came out with that definition of abstinence, I said, I've been gaining about two pounds a year every year for the past, you know, I don't know, six years or something. I'm moving away from a healthy body weight. Uh, you know why? Because I was coasting. I was going downhill. I was resting on my laurels. And so uh, I, I, had to, I had to say, hey, I'm in relapse. You know, it's not huge, but it's definitely going in the wrong direction. So for the past four years, uh, uh, been doing better.
so anyway, so I, I, I do a tenth stop at night. Uh, I review my day, what happened. Sometimes that enters in the email to my food sponsor. Sometimes I just put it in a, a journal. And um, I call my step sponsor every Sunday at noon. I can call them other times, but that's just to help. That's just to make sure there's some accountability. We check in. We talk about spiritual stuff or whatever. And um, so I'm in contact with my food sponsor every day. I'm in contact with my step sponsor. My step, I live. Two minutes. Thanks. Uh, I'm currently assigned in New York City, but right now I'm doing my summer job in Lake George, New York. Uh, my food sponsor is in San Diego. I met him in L.A. My step sponsor is in Florida. I met him in L.A. And um, what else do I do before I go, you know, before I go to bed? Uh, I, I thank God for, for the day, you know, for whatever happened. And um, so that's, uh, that's what I was like. That's what happened. That's what I'm like now. Why do I stay abstinent? Let's go back to that shame and self-esteem thing. I don't want to be ashamed of myself anymore. I don't want to walk around with food stains on my shirt anymore. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be ashamed of how I look. And and, uh, and I like a sense of self-esteem. I like being able to feel good about myself. So you know that, that that's what the program has given me. So that's why that's why I continue to stay abstinent today. And the other reason I'll just end with this: it's a great community. This was a very this meeting started off. It was very raucous. And you know what I heard? I heard the people who have been rescued from a sinking ship, who are, are grabbing a hold of each other. And saying, isn't it great that we didn't drown? And, and they're just so happy to be together. That's what I heard at the beginning of this meeting. And that's what we get. We get this great community. I have, a, I have friends all over the place because of this program. So anyway, thanks for letting me share.